Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. It's my uh, my normal rant when I give a a talk that I can't ever tell if it's if it uh, the audio is working. So, hey, Vicky, how's it going? I'm sure this will be said a few times, but. I'm speaking today because it's winter break, and so um, Milo was home all week, and Jay couldn't record his talk nor do it live. So here I am. I'm usually not very smart when I give a talk, and I drink a carbonated beverage like a seltzer because I love seltzer. So I have my seltzer. And then I have like uh, some caffeine. So I'm doubling down on my carbonation for giving a talk. So that's a smart, smart move. So, hey, Zoe. Zoe, I had, you know, what? I'll, I'll do it now because it doesn't really super pertain to the talk. So, Zoe, one talk I gave, I said how... I felt that the natural state of humans was like pretty crappy, right? That um, we're just bad from the jump. That's kind of what I what I thought. And you brought up that maybe it was more outside influences and everything. And I said, oh, I'll have to think on that. And then it occurred to me when Jay gave his last talk on Galatians 4 – that the, um, the people of Galatia, they are warriors by nature, right? That's what, that's what um, Jay was saying, that they're, um, they're warriors. And then we learn in Galatians 4 that they cared for Paul when he was sick, right? And so that really made me start thinking like, oh, if Paul is how they heard, quote unquote, the good news... And they accepted him as warriors who like warriors fight, you know, but they saw a sick person and accepted them in before receiving the good news. Like I was like, oh, wait a second. This is throwing a hiccup into my whole thing because you have these like um, these like fighters that have not heard like any sort of good news um, doing like uh, like for the le- taking care of the least of these, you know, and so I was like, oh, well, I have a feeling that Zoe was more correct on this than I was. Um, so that's my long winded thing that maybe um, I'm changing my mind. Winter break blues. Hey, Jay. Yeah, yeah I, I was filling them in, uh, Jay, that you're full full time dadding this week uh, with the kiddos off uh, winter break. Does. <laughs> See, when I say it, it's straight Long Island, right? If I said, yo, dog, dog, D-A-W-G, yo, dog. So if you have me walking a dog by the water, oh, boy. Oh, boy. Drinking a coffee. Ooh. Ooh. That's a whole lot of Long Island accent that you're getting right there. Walk the dog by the water drinking a tall coffee (laughs) in a small town. (laughs) 
all all the uh, all the accents coming out. And then if anyone thinks that my Long Island accent's bad, my mom's is even worse, which is funny. Like my mom's is what we make fun of, like when she says dog. <laughs> dog all all you dog people so i guess we could start to uh start to get started start to get started <clears throat> so i had some ideas rattling around in my brain gearing up for a new talk um and that's kind of i've explained before that's kind of what happens i used a, a like a a pinball analogy where you know you unlock the multi ball and so you have all these balls rolling around and you're just trying to keep them in play until something happens and so i was starting to get like ideas for for a talk and i was like okay all right we're getting there and so when jay asked if i could fill in this week i was like yeah sure i'm you know it's uh not a problem and then after he asked <laughs> my weekend like end of the weekend weekend got like completely booked up so i was like starting to panic like oh i'm i need time to really isolate and think about the the talk I want to give. And then everything that happened with Russia and Ukraine really messed up my mind. And I was just like not able to focus. So last night I was, uh, I was very frustrated trying to come up with like organizing my ideas. I was a uh, pretty frustrated and, um, and even my wife was having to say like, Hey, you really like doing this, so don't let it frustrate you. And I really do. I absolutely love doing this. So that was like, okay, okay. And so um, what I what I ended up having to do is just go, all right, so what, what do I want to talk about? You know, I, I made all, again, sorry for people on podcast that you're not seeing the visuals of this. Like I wrote all these crazy notes right and then i take that and i go like all right let's boil this down what do i want to say um like what's really in my my mind and in my heart like what is what do i want to say and i came up with these three things one is that we're all the same in every in the ways that count the only ways that matter we're all the same two is um that division is bad and it's hurting us, which is very self-explanatory, but we'll go into it more. And then as always, legalism and the law, like where it pertains to the Bible Bible and how literal we take it, um, hurts us tremendously. So I was like, all right, I got to focus. And so now I start pulling in all my ideas and see what we, um, where we get to. Oh. Chris uh, in the chat said um, they don't even notice my accent because she's a Philly girl, so I hear New York accent a lot. Well, Chris, the only reason I read that out loud is because I'll be quoting a Philadelphia band a few times in this talk. So, rock on Philly. So, um, <clears throat> so my first thought of we're all the same, uh, I think it's a it's an important lesson and it's incredibly vital for um, our ability to, to practice grace. Um, and the first time that I ever heard of this concept 
was from a Philadelphia-based band uh, named uh, Me Without You. And they were my favorite band for the longest time, and now they're still probably, I don't know, top three favorite bands. But uh, I get into these, like, manic uh, kind of depressive states where I get obsessed with stuff, and then Me Without You fell victim to that, and I played it on and for for like years and so now i'm kind of like all right i let let it let them rest on the shelf for a little bit but um and so me without you uh has a song called cattail down and um the the story is just about the the lead singer and um i guess his brother just like hopping trains going around the country just wandering and, um, but they have towards the end of the song, um, it's kind of like in the movie stand by me, he comes face to face with a deer and in looking at the deer, he comes to this great like realization where, um, it's, a he says, you think, you know who you are, but you're not you, you're everyone else. And then repeats you're everyone else like 27 times. It just repeats over and over and over. And, um, so that really kind of got me thinking like I really that was an intriguing concept to me and um me without you played around with this a similar concept with the um the notion of like we don't exist only like only god exists like where um just like kind of like um it's self-explanatory, so I don't know why I'm trying to explain it, but just like, no, like we shouldn't focus on ourselves, only focus on God. So, you know, we don't exist. Um, only God exists. And so this kind of took that a step forward and saying that not only do we not exist, but we're not even ourselves, we're everybody else. And um, this is, as we know, uh, a concept that Paul uses in Galatians where it's um, there's no Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. And, um, a prince, this is a principle that, you know, um, Paul and, uh, we'll even see the Peter picked up from Jesus in, you know, the lessons of like the good Samaritan. And when he was saying, you know, when you help uh, the sick and the homeless and the poor, you help me. And you're like, Oh, when, when did we ever do any, like, when did we help you? When did we see you poor and hurt? And Jesus said, whatever you do to the least of these people, you do um, to me, you do for me. And so that kind of takes all the division out there, right? Like everyone's looking to Jesus as a different symbol. Uh, you know, he, to some people at that time, he was the savior at some, um, to some people, he was, you know, a very important priest, some people a prophet, some all of the above. Some people, he was just a kind of, they perceived him as a radical um, kind of zealot type person that's going to come and help them physically overthrow Rome and get their land back. And so what he's saying is like, you guys see me all as this, but I'm no different than, you know, the people laying in the streets and the, the, the man that's beaten on his journey and that the good Samaritan takes in like, uh, there's no, I'm not any better than, than them. And you're not either because we are the same. There's no Jew nor Gentile and so on and so forth. And then, um, so 
exploring this concept took me a lot to um, the book of Acts, Acts, the book of Acts, and um, also Romans. Um, that those were the main places that I'll be um, pulling stuff from today. Uh, in terms of the Bible, I'll be quoting. I'll be quoting songs and uh, some American monks. So um, it's going to be a wild ride, but it'll be good. And so um, in Acts 15, um, Peter is, there's a big council meeting um, because they're having issues discussing um, the idea of Gentile um, believers and whether they should uh, like get circumcised and be like uh, have to follow the law now that they're um, believers. And so there's kind of like a big council that they have and, and Peter's there with other apostles, Paul's there. I think Paul and Barnabas go there and Peter says, um, God who knows the thoughts of everyone accepted them. He shows this to us by giving them the Holy spirit, just as he did to us, to God, those people are not different from us. So that's, um, right. There's, there's no difference between people. That's the, that's not a division that God makes. That's the division that only we make. So when it matters, the only way it matters is there's no division there. And, you know, Jesus lived this by hanging out with all these people that hated each other, tax collectors and the zealots that wanted to kill Romans and tax collectors, you know, we have the priests, we have prostitutes, and Jesus is hanging out with them all equally, not to make uh, any sort of point, not to correct their behavior, just to love them for the sake of loving them, because we're all uh, the same. And it was tricky uh, trying to come up with this idea, because ever since that movie... um, Okay, so I will uh, talk to you later. Thank you for stopping by. Um, so ever since the movie Fight Club came out, that's where we kind of start to get the the phrase, you know, you're not a unique individual snowflake. And I was going to play off of that, except for snowflake has such a heavy negative connotation now due to political use of it. So I was trying to find a way around it. And I was kind of thinking of maybe, um, maybe sunsets, like, you know, how to try to explain that each sunset is unique and different and beautiful, but at the same time, they're all still sunsets. They're still the same thing, even though there's like finer details in it. And then I remembered this song um, by this band called Listener, and the song's called Wooden Hearts, and um, I love it. It's a like spoken word rock and roll. My wife hates it, but I love it. <laughs> and... um and in the song Wooden Hearts, the singer makes uh, an image of everybody being a shipwreck and that the church is kind of just a group of shipwrecks all together. And then I, I was like, oh, that's exactly the imagery that I was looking for. And I'm glad that it like came back to my mind because we're all equal. We're all shipwrecks, right? It doesn't matter if someone's a yacht and someone's a dinghy, someone's a canoe and someone's a motorboat like we're at it doesn't matter how we like um 
where we came from. Like we're all shipwrecks, but we're all shipwrecks together. And I think that's very uh, important. And so when we, when we start to see each other as this, as equals, as the same, um, and you know, we're all just shipwrecks trying to come together and heal. Um, then you start to wonder like, why are we divided then? If we're all the same, like, why are we always dividing each other? Why when in it obviously politically into parties and then in, in each party, there's the vision of how much to one way, um, uh, Kelly asked, is that like when Augustine said the church was a hospital? I would assume so. I do have a quote from Augustine coming up. Um, but it would be very much like that. Um, where, you know, we're all like this patients in the hospital. We're all shipwrecks. We're all, um, <laughs> we're we're all uh having those same struggles and so if we're the same like why do we have this need to divide ourselves we'll do it with sports teams we'll do it with um like i said with political parties so it's like right and left but then the left has oh you're like super left i'm central left and they're right leaning left and then the right has oh they're center right they're right right they're left right and then so it's like it's just division upon division upon division upon division. And, um, and it's, so there is this like, like human tendency to divide for some reason. And I think that is, uh, partially our, we thrive off of the feeling of exclusivity. And that's why with Christianity, that is often the main focus that churches and Christians have is the exclusivity of Christianity rather than the grace and loving everybody aspect of it. And so, um, you know, we, we think about when I think about this division, I think about the, um, I think about the ocean, right? And this is something that I, I, um, Jesus gives, uh, an analogy on, and then I, um, read it, uh, in more detail from an, um, a Sufi Islamic mystic where they talk about the ocean contains fish, right? That's, that's what it does. The ocean holds all the fish equally. It does not have divisions of fish. It just holds them all. And then if you, even if you were to cast a net into the ocean and you scoop out the net, the net just holds fish. It doesn't divide the fish at all it's only us that based off our our own reasoning and preferences and upbringing and knowledge start to divide the fish into this is good this is not good this is a trout this is a bass this is a pike this is uh, a walleye this is a shark and but the ocean doesn't care it's all fish to the oceans and then like something funny that occurred to me is i'm sure even in this analogy where i'm saying that the ocean just holds fish that's what it does somebody's probably thinking like oh but what about the mammals uh in the ocean but it's like exactly that's exactly my point is that we felt the need to find a division in the ocean just holding everything without dividing We're like oh but there's also mammals in that too but that's us doing that you know that's not the ocean doing that and um, 
but that's the divisions uh even in that um analogy with the you know the fishermen dividing it the fishermen's dividing it based off of their knowledge and and um factors that they've learned and um my my family just recently um got a pool table we had it for a while uh my mom had it for a while and then it got taken down due to lack of room in the house and then they um used part of the garage and they assembled it again and i love pool um uh, i've played it all uh it was like my passion it was like the bible and pool growing up was my passion from ages age like 15 to maybe um 18 or 19 i played pool at least three times a day for hours at a time i meant three times a week for hours at a time um every week and so i was i was very good and proficient and i studied it and i practiced and um and the reason I say this is because the they they made they got the pool table assembled and they got these fancy looking pool balls with um like kind of swirls and they look really neat and they're excited about them and they're cool and as soon as I pick one up to to look at it and see I was like oh these are these are light they're they're lighter pool balls than your standard pool ball and but they had no idea but I did because of my experience and knowledge that I was bringing with me. I could just tell by how it felt that it was light. And um, when I watch a movie or a TV show where they're playing pool, I could just, I could, I'll, I know how the balls that they're using will play and roll, but that's all from experience that I'm bringing. And since they didn't have that experience that I did, it's, they, they didn't see that division between pool balls the way that I did. And, um, but another thing that happened in uh, my journey of playing and learning to play pool is uh, the owner of the pool hall that I was going to, um, I just, I was brave one day as like a 15 year old kid and I walked up to him and I asked him to play, play me in the game. Not because I thought I could beat him. I just want to see to a seasoned pool player where I stood having just like taught myself and practiced myself. And something about that impressed the guy and we kind of became I like he became my mentor in terms of pool, but some lessons he taught me were bigger than pool. And uh, the one that sticks out to me the most is he told me if I wanted to be better at pool to read the book, Jonathan, Jonathan Livingston Siegel. Now I never heard of it cause I was younger, but um, my, my parents did. And, uh, and so I picked it up and I, read the book and the book is only about a seagull. Like I thought it was going to be like some pool related book, but it's only about a seagull. And, um, and it's about a seagull that wants to be more than just a seagull and wants to fly at the speed of light. That's what the, um, what Jonathan wants. And Jonathan learns along the way that the only way that he is capable of traveling at that speed is to know that he made he to know he reached his destination before he even took off to know that he was going to make it there um, before he even started to fly. And that's how he could do it. And that lesson was what the man at the pool hall was trying to tell me that 
if you to make your shots for pool, you have to know that you made the shot before you even take it. Because if you doubt yourself, then you'll miss the shot, which is true more often than not. And um, so when I was getting this talk prepared and I was looking up different quotes, it like I tend to fall down rabbit holes and I just, you know, the original point that I wanted is way up here. And then by the time I'm, I'm branched like lightning and tree roots and I'm, I find myself somewhere that I had no idea I would even end up. And I stumbled upon this um, American monk named Thomas Merton. And it was very exciting to me because um, I, did, I don't think I knew this guy existed. Some of the stuff that he wrote sounded a little familiar, but um, he is an American monk that's like a mystic, like a Christian mystic, which is as anyone that's heard my talks before know that that's like my thing, like uh, Christian mysticism. So I was like, what? And the, the man was born in France, but grew up on Long Island, which like, what? Like, that's even, that's like crazier to me. And um, so he was alive from 1915 to 1968. And, um, but he wrote uh, a lot about uh, interfaith understanding, which was even crazier to me because uh, he would write books on Buddhism, Confucianism, and, and Taoism, and how Christianity related to them. And so that like blew my mind because a few talks ago, I, I was saying that I have a theory that Jesus studied Buddhism. So I was, I couldn't believe that I found um, this monk and in the same vein of what I was saying, how it's our experiences that show us like um, that lead us to divide things. Thomas wrote every moment and every event of every man's life on earth plants something in his soul. So it's like everything we encounter, everyone we talk to, everyone we learn learn from every experience is what starts to to guide us and that's why a fisherman sees fish different than the ocean does and that's why i see pool balls different than my family does um but the problem with division is it blinds us to the humanity in others uh which is what stops us from being able to see ourselves in them you know that's what i'm trying to say here is you're not you, you're everyone else. Um, and um, so again, the, um, the, the band Me Without You has a song in which um, it's like a child's parable and it's using the uh, imagery of a garden. And um, one of the lines they say is it's some, it's, it's silly. It's, you know, pers personifying these vegetables and the the lettuce is like in love with uh the eggplant <laughs> and um but what's pointed out is that um we're we're all just like a blank movie screen and so what we see in each other is just our projections onto you so i'm a blank screen and so what you're getting your perceptions of me are from your projections onto me and my projections onto you is how I will see you. And um, we see this principle a lot um, nowadays, especially because so much of our um, exchanges are text-based, like uh, in chat here, uh, text messages, DMs, emails, 
uh, posts on social media. So everything is text-based. And uh, in his writing, Ernest Hemingway had a principle of his iceberg theory in which his writing, he felt he only needed to give people the 20% of the iceberg that you can see and not worry about the 80% of it that you couldn't because the reader is bringing that with them. Like they're bringing their bias and their projections with them before they even pick up his book. And so that's um, why I think social media is, it has some good tendencies, but it really is just like a cesspool. Like I really um, can't stand it, but that's what happens is somebody will write a tweet or somebody will put a caption on um, a, a video or a post and we're reading it with through our current attitude that we have either just in general or at that person you know have have you ever watched a movie while you're you were really sick and then you hate the movie forever just because it associates with you with how miserable you felt at the time and um so that's the danger of divisions because we're all kind of like blank slates and so um the stuff that we're dividing each other over is not a, they're not universal at all. They're all just um, perceptions or stuff that is taught to us. Um, the, and one, um, let's see the, so the, but the blindness of our, the blindness that our projections cause in us to not be able to, truly see the other person as we see ourselves. Um, that's, that's something that I've been actually witnessing on social media myself. I follow a, um, I, I would assume in terms of Instagram, a pretty famous atheist. Um, and she makes some very valid points and in no way am I offended by the fact that she's an atheist. I think she makes great points and I think she is, um, a good light for people that are deconstruction deconstructing and struggling that they could feel that they're not alone. But I found this weird parallel that, um, seems to be missed by, um, by this person and the people that are arguing with her. And that is that both sides of this, uh, so I'm not talking about all atheists. I'm, this is pretty specific, but it does have universal principles that this, the, the atheist and the legalistic Christian are both reading the Bible with the same narrow legalistic mindset, except they come to different conclusions for it, if that makes sense. So the, um, the, the atheist is reading the Bible saying the Bible says this, and it's a contradiction with what it says here. So that's why I don't believe that's why I don't believe there is a God or the Bible here says that, you know, this person went to hell or this city was destroyed and any God that would do that. Like, I hate that God. They're a jerk. Um, and you know, the Christian that believes in that stuff in a legalistic way, is saying, no, the Bible says this, this is what happens. This is literal. And they don't kind of see that they're both not leaving any room for the text to not 
say what they're reading. Like, um, like not mean what they're, they're reading, that there is room to play and maybe there's a mistranslation or maybe it's just metaphor or a parable or, um, just someone's point of view. They're, they're both equally looking at it with the same legalistic point of view, but since they have different, um, outcomes from it, they're like dividing each other on it and not seeing their similarities in how they're, they're reading it. Does that make sense? I don't know if I'm, if I'm explaining that correctly, but they're both just assuming that word for word in the Bible is literal and what it means. Um, and they're saying the same thing, but they're arguing over it because one believes it and one doesn't. So I don't know if that made sense, but that's kind of a, a realization that I had that um, really, hey, Trav, that really um, kind of is what sparked a lot of this um, this talk and what I was carrying in my head for a, for a while um, leading to this talk. And so um, the, the, that same American monk, um, I'm sorry, um, I had the name written down, but of course I, but um, Thomas, um, excuse me, Thomas Merton is the, the, the monk that I was referencing. And he wrote, our idea of God tells us more about ourselves than him which uh, is, is very true. Also, you know, if we want a, a God that Merton, yes, Merton. Yes. Thank you, Grizzled. So um, the way that we like, um, yeah, sorry. I literally just finished this, the, <laughs> this talk before I hopped on. So it's still a little rattled in my, my brain, but the, um, you know, say if we see the Bible and we see God as being an exclusive, like only through Jesus, like that's saying more about how we thrive on the exclusive acts, um, aspects of it and feeling how it makes us feel special more than it tells us about, um, God. And I have a, a story where I was talking to my friend Aaron and I was, um, explaining how I have has like, I'm a bit hesitant when I pray because I always kind of feel that if I pray for something that I want, that God will withhold it as a way to teach me like a lesson from it. And I was like, I don't know why I have that mindset, why I view God as some like selfish, selfish, like child that um, is playing these games. And he said with love, but point blank, well, you think that because you're selfish, um, and so that's how you're seeing God. Like you're you're only seeing God in the way you would behave. And so I was like, whoa! Like so then I so maybe my friend Aaron read um, Thomas Merton. I don't know, but that that's um, exactly it. That our idea of the idea we have of God is more telling of us than it is of God. And you know, division only hurts. Um, and hinders our growth for our growth, uh, our ability to love, our ability to show grace. And, um, and what I mean by that is 
you know, when things are done with the wrong motivation, of course, good things can come from it. You know, if, if a super rich person's making a wealthy donation just for the sake of tax um, breaks or whatever, like, of course, that money does good stuff, even though their intention is not generous. You know, the intention is for their own well-being or financial gain. Um, but good things could come from that. But when it comes to um, showing love and and grace to each other, if we're not doing it for the sake of love, like if we're only loving the people that are lovable and loving the people that we like, then we're not really growing. It's We're just playing it safe. And we're just like, oh, no, I, I love this person because they're good and they're nice to me and they're friendly and they're, you know, they're my friend. They're not my enemy. Yeah. So of course you, you're showing love to them and you're ex feeling love and expressing it, but you're not growing. You're not challenging yourself to love an unlovable person or to love the other. Um, and the, um, and to the ability to see ourselves in someone else is how we can branch that divide and how we can um, grow in our love and grace. And so this is a story. It's a bit, <laughs> it's a bit embarrassing for me to tell because this happened, you know, close to 20 years ago. And as everybody knows, people learn a lot and grow a lot in 20 years. And so I was at a Christian college surrounded by all the, the teachings of, you know, uh, conservative Christianity um, and even when they were, you know, quote unquote, more um, liberal in some aspects, it was still as liberal as Christ, uh, conservative Christianity could get. And I met this guy named Mark, Mark Patrick, but I only knew him um, as his nickname, which was Sparky. And we hung out like all summer and it was, um, it was one of the best summers of my life. And I had this like almost like a special feeling because Sparky was gay and as like a conservative Christian boy to have like a gay friend felt like exciting. It felt kind of like, oh, look at me. I'm doing something that is like maybe not like that's pretty frowned upon or people don't um, approve of it. And, you know, so it was, I had a great summer and a great friendship, but at first my motivation was not as sincere as it ended. And I had this, um, talk with him where we were, we we're like walking through the mall or something like that, the Palisades mall. And a, a guy walked past that I felt was an attractive looking guy. And so like, I like nudged him. I was like, Oh, that guy's uh, good looking. Right. What do you think? And he was, he, he was like, Oh no, that he's not really my type. And I literally stopped walking and he turned and he's like, what? And I was like, it was like embarrassing to me, but like my whole life changed in that exchange because up until then, not really ever taking time to be close friends with like a homosexual. And I was only going off of other people, what they said and taught about them. It never occurred to me that like, he had a type of person that he's attracted to just how I have a type of girl that I'm attracted to. And the, like, it was like a bucket of water dumped on me. And in that 
exchange, I like learned that like, oh, like this, how would, how was I blind to this? This is like, we're the same. Like th- those are just minor details, but like, it's just cause our experiences are different. Like we're the same. Like I have a type, he has a type and it just, um, really helped me grow past the point of, Oh, like hate the sin, love the sinner. When I just didn't care. Like all of a sudden I just saw my humanity in somebody else, somebody that up to that point I loved very much and spent the whole summer hanging out with. And it was just like, so eye opening to me. And, um, you know, I was, I was focusing a lot, uh, in, in my mind. I was, I couldn't get this imagery out of my mind of tigers Tigers are big, scary cats. I love cats, and when big, giant cats act like domestic small cats, I think it's the greatest thing in the world. So if I see a video of a tiger playing or a cougar like playing and splashing around, I think it's great. But tigers have white spots on the back of their ears. And it's... Um, and all tigers have them. So it's not like a a cow or a zebra that might have different stripe patterns. All tigers have that. And if you've ever watched the show alone or, or naked and alone, those types of survival shows, the people that are trying to survive often make hats that have what look like eyes on the back of the hat because predators sneak up from behind. And so it, this way, you know, any way the predator is facing them, the the predator will think that they're being seen by, by their prey, and they won't attack. And so it's thought that tigers have the white spots on the back of their ears to ward off any predators that would attack them when they're not looking. And so my first thought is, like, who, who's, who, what's the predator that is going to like attack a tiger. Like who is the tiger protecting themselves from when they're the biggest, they're like the apex predator, right? So what are they protecting themselves from? And then the only thing that makes sense to me is that they are protecting themselves from other tigers. Cause other tigers would be aside from man hunting, obviously, you know, humans hunting, but, that's that trait that evolutionary trait is not meant for human hunters that's because that's not what they're now they're they fear us but that that aspect of their their fur pattern has nothing to do with that so they're protecting themselves from other tigers because other tigers are the only creature that could hurt them in the animal kingdom aside from humans and so it's kind of like us right like if we <laughs> Like we're, we're the ones that hurt each other. And, um, so we're often the ones when we're, we get self, um, preservation and protecting, we're just protecting ourselves from other people. And, um, and so if we find ways to grow our humanity and see our humanity in other people, then we'll stop hurting each other because we're not projecting and we're not dividing so, um, and all of this comes to a head, I think, because in terms of Christianity and, you know, the church and the teachings of Christianity, so much 
if not all of the division stems from how literal or legalistic someone takes the Bible, right? That's why we have different denominations and why you have Catholics and Protestants and then, you know, Catholics have Roman Catholics and Greek Orthodox and, uh, you know, uh, Protestants have Baptist and, you know, CMA and Presbyterian and Methodist. And, you know, so it's like, again, divisions upon divisions upon divisions upon divisions. And the, um, so I, earlier I brought up, uh, you know, Acts chapter 15, when Paul is, you know, uh, when Peter is talking and kind of laying that, that idea of no Jew nor Gentile, um, <laughs> thanks Jenny, um, no Jew nor Gentile, uh, no slave nor free. So, um, Peter is discussing that. But then Peter talks about how the law of the Old Testament is such a burden, not to not to them now, but it had, was always a burden, the, the weight of the law. So in um, Acts 15.10, Peter says, So why are you challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? So it's not like new believers are struggling with the law. Like Peter's saying, we've always been struggling. Like the the yoke, um, meaning, you know, um, how farmers, like they, they put like that wooden, it almost looks like a stockade over a an animal, like to plow or to pull stuff, right? That's a yoke. And he like Peter's saying that, the law of Moses and the law that was required for our salvation, it's not too much for us now. It always was too much for us that our ancestors struggled just as we're struggling today. There's nothing new about this. And um, so that really struck me that, um, you know, so why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? Like that's, I, I, I like couldn't believe what I was reading that it was like that self-aware um, what Peter was saying. And then um, Paul obviously has his take on the law, but I found a really interesting thing in Romans in the, uh, the letter that he, uh, Paul wrote to the Romans in chapter 7, um, Paul's talking about sin, but the way that it's phrased, even though it's not explicitly said, but Paul is talking about sin as if it's like a living thing. And I love that because that's how truly, as I know it sounds weird and I don't even care, but that's how I view depression that it's a living, like breathing thing that's inside of us that like attacks us. It's not a chemical imbalance or any scientific word for it. it. Like I, if you deal with depression, you know, it's not, it's more than just misfirings in your brain or, or chemicals. It, it's something like alive. You could like feel it coming too. If you're about to enter an episode, you know, it doesn't just like snap on, like it goes and all of a sudden you start losing interest in things and or getting obsessed with certain things, cutting people out. Like it's, you just, um, you feel it like growing and climbing up. That's, I mean, that's how I do. But since this is, I'm saying that we're all the same, I'm saying that you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, 
but he um so he's talking about sin and he talks about that the law and the burden of the law um how does he phrase it i'm sorry um the law is how we learn of sin and so we're you know it's kind of um like the movie inception there's that line that says you know if i tell you to not think of a pink elephant what's happening right now is you're thinking of a pink elephant you can't not think of it because i gave you that thought i like inserted it and um jay's friend uh pete rollins had this great joke that he told um jay that um how christians have a um a ring that they wear that it makes them think of sex all the time and almost like crave it and it's a purity ring it's a ring that they wear to say that they're going to abstain from you know sex until marriage and they're going to remain pure but every time they see that ring all they're thinking of is wanting to get laid right so um that's very much what paul is saying is happening with the law is that you know it's basically he's kind of saying like i never knew what it was like to covet something that my neighbor had until the law put that in my head of don't do that and it's like so it's he kind of like builds this weird like um snake eating its own tail when it comes to the law and sin like the law is how people were to abstain from sinning and atone from sinning but all it was kind of doing was filling their head with this this knowledge which is um kind of fitting that you know with the the story whether it's real or metaphor uh, of adam and eve they don't eat like you know the from the the tree of good or evil right it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil like so it's like them learning about it is what makes this it's it's all like cir circular and like i said like a snake eating its own tail um but the the importance of being free of the law is something that comes up often in the bible and there's a great story in um again in the book of acts in chapter 18 in which um people it's it actually kind of parallels jesus uh and uh his trial with Pilate, but it's paul and people are bringing him to um oh oh see you right um thanks for stopping by and um <clears throat> so in acts chapter 18 people bring paul to um to the ruler who i believe his name is um gallio but i don't know if there's any accents or pronunciation but gallio and it very much like with with um the pharisees were doing with uh jesus with Pilate, the crime was for um that paul was teaching um how to worship god in a way that went against their law because as you know paul was about like believing what jesus said that the law was fulfilled so we didn't need to worry about it anymore and um the leaders at the time were having real struggles with this um because to them it was illegal and gallio said i would listen if you complained about a crime but this is just questions about words and names and i was like wow they're really like even this um you know this person that was outside of the religion was kind of like, what do you, you're coming to me with 
you're you're arguing over names and and um and words and and what they mean like that's not a crime that's 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 like nothing what are you bringing this to me for and so they they let him go um so it's um that idea of being free from the law and paul brings this uh analogy of the laws that were put in place for women um and their husbands where you know uh, a woman couldn't leave her husband uh, because the the vows of marriage but if the husband died then she was no longer had to adhere to those vows and that was very much like us he um paul said you know jesus came and fulfilled the law so just as a wife is no longer accountable to the vow she made after her husband dies since the law is now fulfilled we are free of that and that is what jesus is talking about when he says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light because the the yoke that was crushing everyone and their ancestors is now fulfilled so it's not crushing anymore it's 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 easy and it's light and um and that's very important because the law um was like i said before was what was driving people to to divide and to judge and um when you free yourself from that things are easier and lighter you know and um saint augustine has this quote that i just love and it blew me away the first time i read it a few years back where um he says that one of the thieves on the cross asked for forgiveness and was forgiven but we shouldn't presume that the other one was damned you know um and it was just kind of saying that the the um we don't know how this stuff works you know we don't know um this the way that jesus operates we know what is written and what was told to us but there's still so much that we don't know and so just because we know for through scripture that one of the thieves was saved that doesn't mean that grace wasn't extended to the other one um and C.S. Lewis was a big proponent of this, from my understanding. It had an aspect in the Chronicles of Narnia in which, you know, one of the characters was kind of believing a false prophet. And um, when it came out, you know, that character apologized to Aslan, who is like very much the God slash Jesus figure of the, the Chronicles, and was saying like, ah, like, I thought I was doing the right thing. I, I didn't know. And Aslan basically says that the that you kept your oath with this false prophet and you followed them like sincerely. And so I know that had you known about me, you would have followed me in that same mindset with that same zeal. And, and um, so um, C.S. Lewis in uh, Mere Christianity has... Uh, a line that says, uh, the Bible says that we know no man can be saved except through Christ. We do not know if only those who know him can be saved through him. So, so many of these divisions that we are making based on the law and how tight we hold it when it comes to salvation and atonement and, and everything. Um, it's like dividing us, but we don't know. <laughs> We have no idea how, how any of this operates. So why are we using it as a tool to divide? And um, 
when I was putting this together, I did have a bit of a stumbling block because when I was researching about, you know, yokes and the law and everything, I came upon a scripture in second uh, Corinthians where Paul is writing that Christians and non-Christians should not mingle um, because, you know, that is bringing darkness into the light and the two cannot contain the, um, be in the same space at the same time. And I was like, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't agree with that. I don't believe that Christians and non-Christians shouldn't mingle. And then it kind of like occurred to me that without even knowing I was doing it, that I was having a, a pretty legalistic view on what Paul was saying. And, you know, I texted Jay and I was saying that, you know, I feel like Paul's letter letters are used the way we use tweets today. And we kind of use it against them the same way that tweets are used against, um, you know, the people that wrote them 10 years ago. So it's kind of like, um, you know, so in Galatians, you say that there's no Jew nor Gentile, no slave nor free. Uh, and um, But back in 2 Corinthians, you tweeted that Christians and non-Christians shouldn't be together. So what's the deal? Um, and so I was kind of like, oh, we, we end up doing that to Paul and what, what Jay told me, uh, we, we talked for a while and he brought up a, a lot of good points, but one thing that he told me that again was like, what, why am I so stupid that I didn't see this? But, um, excuse me, Paul didn't know that he was like writing the Bible when he was writing his letters, right? He was, he was writing them for specific reasons. So he was writing specific details to a specific group of people for a specific reason at a specific time. He had no idea that he was needing that people would gather all these up and put them into, you know, add them onto the Torah and come up with the Bible. Um, so he didn't know that he had to somehow write some universal truth that needed to stand for centuries uh, when it's attacked from every angle especially at a time in which the world is a lot smaller than he ever could have imagined. The fact that, you know, we could have people across the world watching this at the same time as people on Long Island are watching it. Like Paul would never be able to grasp that. He, you know, um, the only new places that he could travel to by, by, um, you know, chariot or uh, boat. Um, and so that's why, like, I found myself almost doing the same thing that I'm talking about not doing is with that legalistic view and then um so i was like of course he didn't know that he was writing the bible like um so why we have to have that in our mind when we're we're reading this stuff that he very much if it was him and it wasn't like um added on by someone else which people think that that segment that i was struggling with um might have been added on by maybe like timothy or or someone else but it could have just been the specifics that make it not universal. Like, what if the people of Galatia, um, uh, of Corinth, I'm sorry, the people of Corinth were not able to, like, be friends with non-believers because maybe they are so um, young in their beliefs. And so they're maybe getting, like, easily led astray or something. And so it was something very specific to that um, that people tend to... <laughs> 
make it like, no, Paul said that we shouldn't mix with non-believers. It's like, oh, it probably has nothing to do with a universal truth. You know, something like showing grace, since Jesus and Peter and Paul both talk, all talk about it, that's a universal thing. But this thing uh, in the letter to Corinth about not mixing um, Christians and non-Christians, I don't, I don't agree with it. And that is something also that Jay kind of like let me know that it's okay to disagree with Paul. <laughs> and um, because the, the, in Deuteronomy, back when we're talking about the law and things that were a sin and things that were required for salvation, um, it talks about not putting two different animals together on the same yoke, right? That was um, like a sin. And of course, in a practical sense of farming, that makes a lot of sense. You know, <laughs> if you put like an ox and a donkey on the same yoke to plow a field, like it's not going to go well. It's just going to be be a, a wreck. But in terms of a spiritual sense, I feel like that actually is the closest that we could get to learning um, a truth that is bigger than the God that we know of in our, our minds. You know, um, if a liberal and a conservative talk and disagree well and listen to each other and see the humanity in each other, they'll reach a truth that is bigger than the truth that either one of them knew alone. So that's where I disagree with, with Paul. And I see the, um, a, a lot of merit in, you know, uh, two different animals being on the same yoke, uh, spiritually, of course. Um, and so kind of to, um, start to wrap this up is that the law and um was a bit a heavy uh a heavy weight that they were having to pull right it was the a yoke that even our, our ancestors were struggling with um and so it was kind of like you know all our progress was made by like just pulling it and it's so much harder to to pull something than it is to push something, right? So we're like trying to pull this thing behind us, this law, this burden uh, behind us. But then when when Jesus came and fulfilled it and said that my yoke is easy and my burden is light, we kind of got get into this territory of this imagery that I spoke about uh, a few talks ago where when an animal is, has that yoke and the harness and everything like that, it looks like it's pulling something but it's actually the way it's rigged it's pushing it it's just pushing it from the front because to push something is easier than to pull something and so um we go from pulling this super heavy burden of the law and legalism which leads us to divide and it is now rigged on us in such a way that it's easy and it's light and we're we're pushing instead of pulling so we're able to progress further and help others get further um, and we could do that by seeing the humanity in each other, seeing ourselves in each other. And, um, you know, the, and so in order to see the, the humanity in each other and to show each other grace and love and to grow, I go back again to Jonathan Livingston and Siegel, who could only reach his destination when he 
knew that he reached it before he even started. So if we keep practicing this and focus on the idea that we will be before we could project onto somebody that we're going to see the humanity in them. We're going to see ourselves in them. We're going to see the grace that we're going to show them. And like, if we could see that before we even take off, then of course we're going to be able to reach our destination and fly like the speed of light, just like, uh, Jonathan Livingston Siegel and, uh, his pool balls. So that's what I have, um, for today. I had another little bit that kind of touched on, um, maybe what we're all kind of feeling with, uh, the Russia and the Ukraine, but it's, it's very, it, it was, it's another, um, Thomas Merton quote that was kind of saying, you know, if you hate war, um, you know, there's not kind of, kind of like, there's not too much that we could do about it. So everything that we hate about war, like, and, you know, the stuff that causes war, like the, the greed and the hatred, um, that we, we should hate that stuff, but we should hate it in ourselves. We should hate when we see the things that cause war arise in ourselves. And, um, so I thought that was pretty good, but I didn't really have time to, to develop, uh, that process too much. So that is, um, my talk. Sorry if it was a little all over the place, but it was kind of, uh, a little bit uh, of a struggle to, to pull it all together as my mind uh, was all over the place, but I very much enjoyed it. And um, I'm glad that I had uh, my wife remind me that to not get stressed out over it because of how much I enjoy doing it. And I really love talking to you guys and I love diving into to my Bible and my annotations, etc., etc. So, um, Everybody, thanks for hang, hanging out. If anybody, I'll stay on maybe a few more minutes if anyone has any questions or any pushback. I don't know if um, Steve is in the chat, but if he is, there's. Uh, I was going to do a uh, another musical cue for him because I was talking about pool with a capital P that rhymes, <laughs> you know, uh, from the Music Man, uh, We Got Trouble, with a capital T that rhymes with P that stands for pool. Because in the music man, um, there's a con man and he's trying to con the town. And so he tells him that the the uh, the arrival of a new pool table is going to corrupt all them and their kids. But so, yes, everyone, thank you for hanging out. If anyone, like I said, if you have any um, questions or pushback or things you don't agree with, things you do agree with, feel free to mention it. Um <laughs> Well, Kelly, I'm glad I was able to help uh, help the drive. Um, and thank you for the compliment. Thank you, everyone, for the nice things you say. Um, you know, if I don't, I wish I had the links. Um, but if you go to the, the Revolution website, um, we obviously um, prefer people over money. That goes without saying. Um, so the fact that I just said it is unneeded. But, hey, Steve, yes. Woo. Oh, yeah, with Hugh Jackman. All right. I'm glad that you're there to, to see it because that was absolutely what I was thinking. He's a what? He's a what? He's a music man, and he sells clarinets to the kids in the town with big trombones and the rat-tat drums. So, um, yes, but we, um, we prefer people over money, but we do have 
a need for money to keep this going. So anyone, uh, if you could donate, that would be amazing. Um, uh, you know, I still want to try to come up with ways that maybe um, we could have Jay maybe have classes that people sign up for or some sort of Patreon that, that will help um, with things. But I just need time to, to think it out and talk it over with Jay. But anyone, if you can donate, that'd be great. But um, yeah, I'm very excited that uh, Steve, Steve's here, my uh, my my musical counterpoint. <laughs> But, um, yeah, because I, I had that other talk called How Can There Be Any Sin in Sincere. So, big Music Man fan. Um, but, all right. So, everybody, thank you very much for hanging out. Um, I will have to uh, head out now. So, um, thanks again. And Jay should be back next week with the continuation of Galatians. And, um, all right. Thanks again, everybody, and have a good Sunday. Bye. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website.